Hey, everybody. It's Ben Fredrickson here alongside Dave Matter for another episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the Post-Dispatch, as we hope to be talking about a Mizzou football game that will be played on Saturday. Full disclosure, we're recording this on a Thursday morning, so if you're listening and things have changed, that's just 2020. But where things stand now, (laughs) it looks like Mizzou is in good shape to play its game against South Carolina on Saturday, which would be uh, its first game in in more than – was it now three weeks, Dave? Three weeks, yeah, three weeks. Where do things stand as of uh, Thursday morning with Mizzou trying to get out from underneath this COVID pause? Well, as of as a Wednesday afternoon, when Eli Drinkwitz talked on the SEC teleconference, he said they were at 54 available or potentially available scholarship players for the game, and that they have to update the SEC with their available player list. Um, I think throughout the week, just to kind of give the, the league an update. If you hit 53 players, scholarship players that can play, um, you can postpone the game. Now, you don't have to necessarily. Everyone kind of thinks that you're required to because it's the SEC has called it a roster threshold. But I, And I checked, double-checked with the SEC this week, and they just went back to the original statement saying that, no, it is up to the institution if they want to play at less than 53. Now, if you're down to like three offensive linemen or three – you know, defensive linemen, then, you know, odds are you probably don't want to play uh, or one quarterback or a situation like that. Or if you have just a severe outbreak where you just don't have the numbers. But if you're at 52 or 51, you can play some walk-ons. You know, you can move those guys into some positions where they might have to get some snaps in place of a scholarship player. So that, it sounds like where Missouri is. They're, they have been, I would, I think confident is probably too strong a word for 2020, but they have been feeling all week like things were trending in the right direction. Now they do take another COVID test on Thursday and then they will get the results of that early, early Friday morning. So I guess if suddenly they get a bunch of positives and then they have to put a bunch of players in contact tracing, you know, plans could change. But as of recording this, it appears that Missouri and South Carolina will play a game Saturday night. South Carolina looks different than uh, Missouri thought it would since since Missouri played its last game. Um, but first, yeah. let's talk about Missouri. We haven't seen the Tigers on the field since that October 31st loss at Florida, a loss that looked bad. They didn't play well. There was, of course, the big, uh, the big brawl um, at, at halftime. But now Florida is very much looking like a, a national championship contender. I mean, I think you have to say that the Gators are are – are in contention for the national championship until proven otherwise. So maybe that loss looks a little bit better. What can we expect to see out of Mizzou when we see them, the Tigers get back on the field? You've done some research and we assume, and I think it's natural to assume, man, a team that hasn't played in almost a month is, is probably going to be a little rusty. That hasn't necessarily been the case so far this season. Yeah. There's not a lot of evidence to point to. So it's sort of circumstantial at this point, but if you look at power five teams, that have gone had had back to back off weeks basically where uh, they haven't played in 21 days. There's let me count one two three four five six. There's seven of them. Those teams are five and two coming off that long break. And again, these are just Power Five teams, so it really doesn't include the Pac-12 because they haven't been playing long enough to even be eligible for this list. Um, but you look at North Carolina; they they beat Boston College. Notre Dame beat Florida State. Oklahoma State 
beat Iowa State. That was a really good win. Wisconsin just demolished Michigan. Florida, we know, took care of Missouri. Then the two losses are Baylor lost to Texas and Vanderbilt lost to Ole Miss. Uh, this week, Missouri and LSU will be added to the list, assuming they both play, because they've been off for a while. So I think the question is, does the rust supersede the rest? You know, I mean, what what is more important to get those guys rested for a while, get your team rested, uh, or do you fall out of rhythm offensively, defensively? Now, some of these teams, the situations were a little different. Some of them couldn't practice for a week or two, and that was the case with Florida. Missouri has been able to practice. They just have had guys held out um, because of contact tracing or a couple positive cases here and there. So we'll find out Saturday. I think the things you want to look for is tackling, you know, how how crisp is the tackling. Uh, they haven't been in real live situations um, like you would a week, a day or two a week, uh, like you would in a normal season. Now, Missouri did like have a game, a simulated game last Saturday, um, but they didn't full tackle to the ground like you would in a game. Uh, and then you look at like the passing game, the things that rely on timing and chemistry, uh, you know, what does that look like after not playing a full speed game against a real defense for three weeks? But you know, just the, the very limited body of work we had to look at in the power fire this year, teams have been okay coming off those breaks. I mean, it, and Connor Bazelak made a great point this week. He said, you know, when, when Missouri opened the season against Alabama, they hadn't played in like nine months. So, you know, season openers are, are similar too. And not that they played great in that game, but, uh, you know, it, it's all sort of relative. But I, I don't think it's like a death sentence that you haven't played a game, you know, in three weeks by any means. This is uh, something I'm going to write about later this week, but I do think Missouri's in a unique position because there is still momentum. There is still optimism about this season, and we're to the point in the year because of this crazy COVID season and, and some of the, the, the fallout from it because some teams are to that point where they know what they're playing for is either ahead of them or behind them. And you really can kind of draw a line between the teams and say, does this team have motivation to keep playing or does it not? And Missouri's going to play some teams that I right. think would be on the not side of this thing. South Carolina, Will Muschamp has been fired. Four players now have opted out of the rest of the season, some preparing for the NFL draft. You look ahead at the schedule, Arkansas very much has something to play for. They've been a surprise under Sam Pittman and defensive coordinator Barry Odom. Mississippi State, things not going so great. Um, a lot of uh, yeah. A lot of kind of animosity maybe between – between Mike Leach and some of the players where he's talked openly about maybe needing to refresh the roster. And then there's Vanderbilt, which is the worst team in the, in the sec, maybe one of the worst teams in, in, in power five football this season. And then if Missouri makes up that game against Georgia, um, Georgia was, was hoping it could be in a national championship conversation. I can't really imagine that Georgia would be that excited about playing potentially on sec championship weekend. If it's not for the SEC championship, and there's kind of this dividing line. Um, where right. do you think South Carolina falls in that? I mean, they have a lot of reasons to, to see this season as being mostly over when Missouri shows up. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, if, if they're going to play hard for their interim head coach or they're going to go out and rally and play hard for Will Muschamp after getting fired, why weren't they doing that the last three weeks? Because they were just abysmal on offense. I mean, they gave up what I think 48, 52 and 59 points in their last three games. I mean, we've seen that we have to kind of redefine 
what is what makes up good defense in today's game. And but that's that's not close to that. I mean, it was they've been really bad, and that was his specialty is defense. Um, so yeah, I don't know what you can expect, what kind of effort to get out of this team. They're one of the worst pass defenses in the country, and three of their four starters in the secondary are no longer with the team this season. So I, you wouldn't think that that's a strength or that's a that's a positive for their defense going forward. Although they were so bad, maybe I don't know. Maybe can they get worse? Maybe. Um, so yeah, it doesn't strike me as a team that has a lot to play for at this point. Their schedule is still fairly tough. They have Georgia left, Missouri, and then I, someone else, maybe even Arkansas. Uh, so they're looking at a really long losing streak to end this thing. I don't think anybody has any illusions that Mike Bobo is a candidate for the head coaching job to get promoted here. This isn't a Davos winning situation or even an Ed Orgeron situation. Um, you know, he, their offense has been okay this year. They've run the ball pretty well. They've got one of the SEC's leading rushers, but it's not an offense that's just scare you. If, if anything, they're, I think I wrote the other day, they're sort of prehistoric. They, they actually line up in the I formation under center with a fullback uh, more often than not. So it's going to take a, a sort of different look for Missouri defensively to stop this. But yeah, this just doesn't look like a team that is playing for much at this point of the year. Uh, especially, you know, we'll see how they respond to having their coach get fired. But, you know, again, they weren't doing much for him down the stretch. Are you surprised that, that Will Muschamp got fired? Look, losing record, um, that's not going to cut it at, at South Carolina. Um, it wasn't a losing record by much. And it's kind of just seems like that program has Steve Spurrier expectations um, in part yeah. when they had the combo of Steve Spurrier and and Jadavian Clowney, and that's a pretty rare combination. Were you surprised by the firing in part because they had to pay him close to 14 million to go away? Right. Not really. I, I think South Carolina is one of these programs. And for, for today's story, I just, you know, took a deeper dive into their history. They've really never had sustained success except for the Spurrier years. They won 11 games, three, three years in a row. were consistently in the top 10 a very, very good program. They went to uh, one SEC title game. Uh, other than that, their success has been really sporadic. Only one other 10 win season. Uh, you know, they, they long-term, they really haven't been in the SEC that long. They came in with Arkansas in the early nineties before that they were an independent. And again, didn't have much success from one year to the next very often, but they spend money like an SEC team. Uh, they, they try to make hires and they pay their coaches like an SEC team and they build facilities. They have a pretty good new uh, indoor facility, I believe training facility, but the, the background is the, the history, the tradition is just not there, even if the resources are. So they are one of these schools that expects to win like Florida and Georgia, but they just never have really other than that run with Spurrier. So I, I still don't understand why they hired Will Muschamp in the first place. And why the guy that did hire him, Ray Tanner, gets to hire the next guy. That's the one that doesn't make sense. They not only hired Muschamp, who, who struggled at Florida, a place with better resources, better recruiting, uh, more fertile recruiting area, more history, more tradition. He couldn't win there. So what was the logic thinking he could win at South Carolina, where things aren't as good and there's not as much tradition or history uh, or you know financial support necessarily? So what's the logic in that? And then the fact that he struggled should not have been a surprise to anyone. And now they get to go out and make the same guy make, gets to make the higher and higher replacement, which I never quite understand. And the biggest mistake they did was after one good season, I think they won nine games. 
they give him this huge contract extension yeah. and this big raise that you know you're going to have to pay for on the back end if things don't go well. So it, it, I, I, I don't understand it. It pretty much speaks for how college athletics finances work today. We thought that maybe some of this wouldn't happen during a pandemic, um, but all it takes is a few rich boosters to make someone go away, and that's apparently what happened. Otherwise, Will Muschamp probably coaches out the rest of the season, and uh, and then maybe their players that opted out wouldn't have opted out right now, and, and who knows? The end game would have probably been the same, but um, yeah, not a great look. Interesting that Ray Tanner, the athletic director who has told the leaders of South Carolina they were expecting something close to like a 45% dip in, in, rep, in projected revenue because of the pandemic gets the clearance to make a, a, a $14 million coaching change that was not included in that yeah. initial projected revenue loss. And it makes me wonder, Dave, if he's got somebody in mind, if he's got approval from the school to go make a big hire. And the name that, I, the name that you, you're going to hear, if you're not hearing it already, and we're seeing the headlines pop up is Hugh Freeze. Um, yeah. This is not specifically a South Carolina topic. He will be mentioned for other SEC jobs if some come open. I do think the Hugh Freeze comeback has to happen in the SEC because I don't think other conferences would be as as quick to pick him up. Maybe I'm wrong about that. What do you make of, of this Hugh Freeze conversation? It's been only a couple of years since he was fired and, and shamed at, at Ole Miss um, but he's rebounded pretty nicely at Liberty, including a, a really good season so far this year. Yeah, there's also a thought that there is like a Hugh Freeze firewall in the SEC led by Greg Sankey, because we know that uh, Nick Saban wanted to hire him a few years ago. I, there was talk that Barry Odom was interested in hiring him as his offensive coordinator, and Greg Sankey stepped in and and uh, and, and said, no, this isn't happening. Um, I, and I don't know what the uh, how long they would like to keep him out of the league if that's the case. Um, but you know, not that you necessarily need the commissioner to approve your hire. Um, but if, if, if that is a hurdle in the way, then there's still some other good candidates out there. I'm hearing Shane Beamer's name come up a lot. Uh, the son of Frank Beamer, former Virginia tech coach. He's a former assistant coach at South Carolina. doesn't have the head coaching experience, but he's been at Oklahoma. He's been at Georgia special teams guy. Um, we've seen, guys in the NFL and, and, and college football who are special teams coordinators, you know, make pretty good head coaches sometimes. Um, you know, Will Healy at, uh, at Charlotte, you know, if you want to dip in the NFL and go get Joe Brady, who was, you know, the genius behind LSU's offense last year, that could make some sense. Steve Sarkeesian, who has, uh, has done a really nice job quietly at Alabama as their offensive coordinator. So there, there's definitely some candidates out there. Tanner said, Earlier this week, he wants an offensive coach, which is the which is the direction most ads are going right now. Especially if you have a defensive coach and offense is your problem, which has kind of been the case somewhat at South Carolina. Was absolutely the case when Missouri had its opening a year ago. So, uh, I think what's interesting too is the guy that would be a really good candidate for this job if this were a year ago would probably be Eli Drinkwitz because he's out there in the Carolinas at App State beat South Carolina last year in Columbia. Uh, I think he'd have a really good profile for this. If this were happening a year ago, if they would have pulled the plug on Will Muschamp instead of 2020 when Drinkwitz was at Missouri. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And you're going to write about that win that Eli Drinkwitz had at South Carolina. Don't give it all away, Dave, but fair to ask the question, is Eli Drinkwitz at Mizzou without that win? Possibly not. You know, App State had that great year last year, and he didn't get credit for building that program because obviously it was built. But he took it to another level, and he took it by doing a couple things. One, winning 11 games, winning the Sun Belt Championship, and then beating two Power 5 teams, North Carolina and South Carolina. And the South Carolina win was in Columbia last year at williams Bryce Stadium, where Missouri will be playing on Saturday, uh, we hope. And, uh, and those games, I, I remember when they happened, I went back and looked a little bit, they, they weren't fluke wins. Those were, App State was the better team. Frankly, App State might have been a better team last year than Missouri is right now. I mean, it's, it's hard to compare because you're playing different kind of schedules, but that was a really good team, a really good win, a big win. You know, I asked him about it on his Zoom press conference this week. I think he was uh, relieved to talk about something other than COVID and his roster sure. scholarship numbers. <laughs> and, and not that he was going to bask too much in nostalgia, but, it, you know, he admitted that that was a huge win at the time for the program. And, you know, who knows where he is right now if – if App State doesn't win that game. Kind of shifting gears here quickly to, to basketball, Dave, uh, less than a week now until the Missouri men's basketball season tips off, fingers crossed. Um, everything is fingers crossed with, with COVID right now, but um, kind of uh, easing into the schedule against Oral Roberts before a, a pretty a, a lengthy break there, that December 6th trip to, um, to Wichita State. What do you make of, um, of kind of where the basketball talk is right now? All teams, I think, are kind of crossing their fingers and hoping for, uh, hoping for the best here. But finally, nice to see a non-conference schedule for Mizzou after, after not knowing when we would see one. Yeah, and they've got actually two additions there in between Oral Roberts and Wichita State that probably haven't been added yet. But that, those games out in Connecticut at the, oh, that's right. yeah, at the, at the casino where – they're not officially official finalized yet, but they will play <laughs> Boston College and, and Oregon. And Oregon's probably the favorite in the Pac-12 this year. So that's a really good test right off the bat for Conzo's team, assuming that these games happen right. out in Connecticut. Um, so, you know, first first four games, and you include Wichita State. Now they won't have, uh, they won't have their head coach, um, Greg Marshall, on the sideline. But that's a good test on the road and getting away from home to play some Power 5 high major teams. Boston College in Oregon. Oral Roberts is, you know, they haven't been great by any means, but, um, you know, at least it's a team that, uh, that has some tradition. Uh, and then they're going to get Bradley later on. Bradley's won back-to-back Missouri Valley Conference tournaments. Um, they're going to get Liberty, who's won back-to-back conference tournament championships. And then we know they're going to get Illinois now. Um, you know, it's a very different kind of Bracken Rights game, but they will play in a Final Four caliber Big Ten contender Illinois team. So it's what looked like maybe kind of a soft non-conference schedule is, is shoring up to be one of the better ones Missouri's played in a long time. Yeah, thank you for reminding me of those, the casino games. Um, so the yeah. way that these work, basically, I mean, we're seeing the same thing at SLU. They're, they've got this announcement, but there seems to be this, they, they, these games, these, these event games seem to be maybe more tentative than than some of the other yeah. schedules. Do you, get that, do you get that sense? Right. And this this event, the Mohegan Sun event, did announce a bunch of games. They've got something like 40 teams coming, or maybe it's even 40 games. But they've got all these games planned for a week-long stretch there. 
it, it just must be the, uh, the one facility that schools were comfortable playing at. Um, but they hadn't announced the Missouri games yet because those were some a little bit separate from the, the bigger bracket or the bigger event they had. And there was some kind of hang up with those, which is we're finding out pretty common. I know SLU's been dealing with this without being able to really finalize their schedule on both ends for these non-conference games. And let's be honest, these, not all these games are going to happen. It's naive to think that they will. There's so many teams that have had to pause their team activities because of a positive case or contact tracing. I don't think anybody's going to be immune to that this year. There's some, you know, I've heard the buzz around the SEC, or at least from some folks that just wish that they all along would have only done conference uh, scheduling for basketball, just because you, you know, the protocols, you know, the, uh, the, the testing schedules, the regimens that you're going to be doing within your own conference. You don't have to worry about what another conference is doing, but the NCAA came out at one point and said, Hey, if you're going to, if you want to make the tournament this year, you need to play some non-conference games to boost your, profile and your strength of schedule and all that so everybody went out and scheduled these non-conference games but again they're all tentative we hope they can play them um we don't even know how many fans will be at some games missouri's counting on a limit of about 3,000 fans at mizzou arena socially distanced and wearing their masks uh i, I don't know if it's going to be the same at other places especially in these non-conference events we do know no fans at the bragging rights game family of players and coaches only so that obviously will be a much different environment than what we're used to. Yeah, that will be a, a different look for sure. The uh, the good news is there's some games to, to start planning around and fingers crossed that they're able, everybody's able to play as, as complete of a of a schedule as possible. I wanted to ask you, Dave, about the women's team, you know, because the, here's an example of, of a team that, that has gone through, you know, a COVID hurdle already. They, they had a two-week shutdown in practice. Um, because of, of the virus and the protocols required from it um, and suggested by the NCAA and the SEC. Have you gotten a sense of, of how that has affected them, of what kind of wrench that can throw in, in things as they look to begin their season soon? Yeah, they just got off to a real late start as far as practices go. And, and you know, I think that should be a concern with the team that's adding so many pieces. They have so many transfers that are eligible this year. Now, they've been part of the program, so they have practiced before. Also, they had trouble getting some of their international players to America because of visa issues, which just with, you know, struggles with travel caused by the pandemic. You know, they've got this freshman point guard, Mama Dembele, I think I have it pronounced right, from Spain. Um, they've got uh, an Australian player, maybe even two. Uh, yeah, two, two Australian players. Uh, and then just these other new pieces that they're adding that I, I think on paper, it looks like they could be a a sneaky good team if all these new pieces work out surrounding the returning uh, nucleus with, with Asia Blackwell, of course, and, and Haley Frank, the two sophomores who were so good at times as freshmen. Um, but they, they could be a really interesting team. You know, they add Shug, Shug Dixon. She is a, a senior transfer, a, a Lutheran North player, but she was played at Texas Tech and Tulsa. She's, so she's on her third college team. And then just yesterday they found out that Lauren Hansen a transfer from Auburn. She started 20 games last year for Auburn, uh, three-point shooters, scored about nine points a game. She was declared immediately eligible for this year. So another piece for Robin Pinchon's team. I think the outside expectations are going to be, um, you know, not too high. They were picked 10th by the league coaches, which is right where the Mizzou men were picked. Uh, and, and Blackwell was second team preseason all-conference. So I don't know if there's great expectations for them to contend in the SEC like they were doing in the Sophie Cunningham years, but 
it's an interesting team. They, they could be uh, better than, than what people expect. It'll be interesting to see if Asia takes that next step as kind of being the next Sophie Cunningham type leader on, on the team. That's a tall, that's a tall order for anybody yeah, to yeah. live up to. But when she was recruited, it was kind of presented as, Hey, she can be the next kind of face of the program. So uh, her, her, her journey needs to take a, a step forward here. Dave, hopefully we'll have lots of football and basketball to keep talking because college sports is going to be in the spotlight here. Um, you know, especially yeah. in our area with without hockey starting until January, um, with baseball trying to figure out what is next, college sports is going to be in the spotlight. So we'll keep breaking it down every week here. Um, we might have a, an early edition of the podcast next week because I know folks will be celebrating Thanksgiving. So let's do that, but hopefully after a, a Mizzou football game in South Carolina to break down. Keep up the good work. And I'll remind folks that if they're checking out the podcast for the first time, they can find us at stltoday.com slash podcast. Or even easier, wherever you get your podcast, just punch in Eye on the Tigers. You can subscribe and it'll download automatically for you there if you do that. For Dave, I'm Ben. We'll talk to you next week.